Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, March 14, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book. We are in Chapter 11, A Vision for You. We are on page 158 at the bottom of that page, the paragraph that begins, So you see there were three alcoholics in that town. The reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, March 13th, is 4080. That's 4080. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'd now like to ask Irene to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irene, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I thank you and I pass. 
Thank you, Irini. I'd now like to ask Margaret H. to please read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Janice. Good morning. My name is Margaret, compulsive uh, overeater in Illinois. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. <clears throat> Excuse me. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you so much, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in chapter 11, A Vision for You, and we are on page 158, at the bottom of that page, the last paragraph that begins, so you see there were three alcoholics in that town. And this morning I would like to ask Esther to please get us started. Good morning. My name is Esther, and I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. So you see there were three alcoholics in that town who now felt they had to give to others what they had found or be sunk. After several failures to find others, a fourth turned up. He came through an acquaintance who had heard the good news. He proved to be a devil-may-care young fellow whose parents could not make out whether he wanted to stop drinking or not. They were deeply religious people, much shocked by their son's refusal to have anything to do 
with the church. He suffered horribly from his sprees, but it seemed as if nothing could be done for him. He consented, however, to go to the hospital, where he occupied the very, the very room recently vacated by the lawyer. He had three visitors. After a bit, he said, the way you fellows put the spiritual stuff makes sense. I'm ready to do business. I guess the old folks are right after all. So one more was added to the fellowship. So this paragraph actually reminds me of the very last line in the foreword to the third edition in the big book. Each day, somewhere in the world, recovery begins when one alcoholic talks with another alcoholic, sharing experience, strength, and hope. And this um, brief description of uh, of uh, uh, alcoholic number four um, is it just a is just a, again a description of that line in the forward to the third edition. This is how the fellowship develops when one alcoholic talks to another, sharing with him what he has experienced and, of course, sharing with him the program of recovery. And what's important to note is that the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, which we're going to see is about to blossom, it came out of the program and, and not vice versa, not the other way around, meaning it, what, uh, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous of OA, is, it, it, it's not meant to be a support group where people sit around and you know, try to come up with some solutions. The fellowship, the program of recovery doesn't grow out of the fellowship. The fellowship grows out of the program of recovery. One shares with the next, who shares with the next, who shares with the next, and, and there you have a fellowship that grows up about you. Um, and this is this is important to note that, um, again, to emphasize the point that we are not a support group where we try to come up with uh, a good strategy or plan for recovering from our problem with food. It's a fellowship that grew out of a common solution to a problem that we have and in passing along the message we develop the fellowship in that way and with that I'll pass, thank you Thank you Esther Would anyone like to comment on these two paragraphs? Press star 1 to unmute This is Paula Mashia Go ahead Paula Thank you. This would be Paula Recovered Compulsive Overeater. No, I want to look at right those first three words. So you see. And there it is. So you see. There were three alcoholics in that town who now felt they had to give to others what they had found or be sunk. It was clear. They just couldn't keep it to themselves. Now they were three. First one, then two, now three. And I keep wanting to go back, and I will, go back to 14, where he said, when I lay in the hospital, and this is Bill W. by himself, may I add, of course, with God here, while I lay in the hospital, the thought came that there were thousands of hopeless alcoholics who might be glad to have what had been so freely given me. Perhaps I could help some of them. They, in turn, might work with others. Now, those were words. Those were words indeed. But then we see the words. So you see, there were three alcoholics in that town. But that part, and I'm going to go to the next line, and I will stop there. After several failures to find others, a fourth turned up. They didn't give up. Ebby didn't give up on Bill. Dr. Silkworth didn't give up on Bill. B 
Bill didn't give up on Dr. Bob. They, too, didn't give up on this third, third alcoholic, Bill D. He proved that that part, after several failures to find others, a fourth turned up. So there it is. Thank you again for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment? This is Katie. Go ahead, Katie. Good morning, everyone. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, This section talking about the parents, they were deeply religious people, much shocked by their son's refusal to have anything to do with the church. Um, He suffered horribly from his sprees, but it seemed as if nothing could be done for him. You know, it's not um, our families who can save us. It's not, um, you know, a website with um, the effects of food addiction. It's not um, anything that someone who doesn't have this problem can share that will make me see who and what I am. And these guys, they knew that they had to share with another person or be sunk because we don't do this. We don't just, you know, get abstinent for uh, until we lose our weight and then say, well, now I'm going to go on with my life. Thank you very much. See you later. It's not like that. We, um, you know, this is, as someone else shares, education without graduation. We don't ever graduate to where we don't need uh, the newcomer, where we don't need that next person who wants what we have. And I was, you know, I was like this guy. Uh, My mother used to say to me, oh, you'll be sick if you keep eating that. And, you know, how can you do that? And why would you want to feel that way? And, you know, as much as I think everyone else in my family is also a compulsive overeater, they did not do with food what I did. And it wasn't until I came into these rooms where I heard of people doing, uh, you know, suffering horribly the way I did that I thought, well, they look uh, recovered now, so maybe I need to listen to them. And, you know, I make myself available to help other people to save myself, to continue one day at a time to not have to go back to the uh, misery of uh, what's waiting for me because this disease doesn't go away. I am not cured. I'm recovered, but I haven't graduated. And... Uh, you know, they shared with this guy and he believed them because they had the experience, the same type of experiences that he had, and yet they were free. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? It's Leah. Good morning. Go ahead, Ms. Leah. Hey, Janice. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I, too, wanted to focus on those lines. Uh, So you see there were three alcoholics in that town who now felt they had to give to others what they had found or be sunk. (laughs) That's just like the big book, you know. They don't mince words. Um, And, you know, and that's true, you know, uh, that, that is the reality of our disease. I mean, other people, you know, I know the AA 12 and 12, you know, makes an analogy 
of, you know, there might be somebody, some a group of doctors that are possessed with uh, finding a, a cure for cancer, and they might feel, uh, you know, guilt if they fail their mission, but it wouldn't jeopardize their personal survival. That's where it differs for someone like me, a real compulsive overeater, because if, if we neglect those that are sick, we're in danger. Our own lives are in danger. Our own sanity is in danger. Um, so it's under that kind of pressure and that kind of compulsion um, of self-preservation that we keep carrying the message. It's, it's, it's a life-saving mission because the life we save may be our own. You know, it isn't a question of uh, other, it wasn't a question of other alcoholics responding to Bill W. and Dr. Bob. They didn't have to give Bill and Dr. Bob anything because their stability their stability came out of trying to give, not out of demanding that they received. Because it says after several failures to find others, a fourth turned up. It, you know, not everybody wants what we have to offer. You know, some do, some don't, so what? But the, but the bottom line is that Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob stayed sober. So it's under those compulsions of self-preservation, the fact that it is a duty, it's a responsibility. It is a responsibility. God has removed my obsession to, compulsive over, to compulsively overeat. What am I going to do with that now? What am I going to do about that now? God has a job for me to do, and for me, that's exactly what God's will is, you know, for people like you and I. We don't need to struggle with what his will is. We know what it is. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So it's under the self-preservation. It's under the responsibility and the duty. And, it's, of course, it's sheer pleasure. It's with absolute love that we do that. It's with absolute love that we do that to be the one who now carries the message, to be the one who picks up the torch and passes it on to the next person. That's a joy. That's a pleasure. It's a responsibility. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. This is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. There were several things in this paragraph that showed me, once again, the way in which this thing started out was so divinely inspired. You know, here is this young man. Here is this young man, bad enough to be hospitalized, bad enough to be hospitalized, suffering horribly from his sprees with loving parents that had tried, I imagine, over and over and over again, deeply religious people, shocked by their son's refusal to have anything to do with the church, and they had probably talked to him over and over and perhaps even told him that they believed that God could do anything. But he could not hear that. He could not hear that. But he could hear it from his three visitors. He could hear it from his three visitors. And why is that? Why is that? Someone in whom the problem had been solved, who spoke his language. The big book talks about that so clearly. Someone in whom the problem had been solved that spoke his language. So those three 
visitors, those three men who had recovered, came to his hospital room. And what did they do? They told him their story. They told him of their own experiences so that he could identify in. They told him about their problems as alcoholics. And they told him the solution and the program of action. Because he says, after a bit, the way you fellows put this spiritual stuff makes sense. I'm ready to do business. You know, he may have been hearing the same thing by loving parents, by other people, but he couldn't hear it in the same way he could hear it from those who had recovered. And I think that is indeed what gives us that responsibility, that duty, and that pleasure, is that I can tell you my story of my compulsive overeating. I can tell you exactly what the problem is. You know, that I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, and that nothing, nothing was able to come between me and that problem until I found this spiritual solution. And when you told me that, when someone in whom the problem had been solved stood before me and told me the problem, the solution, and the program of action, I could jump on board. I could get in that lifeboat. I could see the solution. I could see that it might work for me as well. And then I too could be ready to do business. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs before we move on? All right, then let's move on. Would Penny C., would you please read the next paragraph? This is Penny C. from Massachusetts. I'm recovered compulsive overeater. All this time, our friend of the hotel lobby incident remained in that town. He was there three months. He now returned home, leaving behind his first acquaintance, the lawyer, and the devil-may-care chap. These men found something brand new in life. Though they knew they must help other alcoholics if they would remain sober, that motive became secondary. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. They shared their homes, their slender resources, and gladly devoted their spare hours to fellow sufferers. They were willing, by day or night, to place a new man in the hospital and visit him afterward. They grew in numbers. They experienced a few distressing failures, but in those cases they made an effort to bring the man's family into a spiritual way of living, thus relieving much worry and suffering. Well, this this is so inspiring and um, just tells me how devoted these men were to the fledgling new Alcoholics Anonymous groups. And had they not been, who knows that we would even have Overeaters Anonymous today. They they just persisted. Uh, the, as Dr. Bob tells in his story that's coming up, how the the reasons for for doing what he what he did that you know the the uh the giving to others was so so worthwhile and it kept him it kept him in this state of sobriety and and joy and freedom 
so they they just kept kept going. What I like to to um, think and and I know about these th- first three is that they must have been when they talked to new alcoholic prospects. They 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 had to have been humble, honest, and given hope. Otherwise, I don't see that the program could have could have continued. Because that's that's what I think we do as compulsive overeaters trying to help somebody else. You know, it's 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 necessary that we be humble and honest and just tell our story and present the spiritual solution that these first three men did. And with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim J.M., a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So they knew they must help other alcoholics if they would remain sober. The motive became secondary. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. And that is so my experience. You know, I understand that my sobriety, which is of God, it's not of me. Even saying my sobriety, my sobriety, my absence sounds kind of goofy because I couldn't say absent for a day. But that gift from God, I know comes because I carry this message. You know, that step 12 is carrying this message. And my job as a recovered person is to, is to maintain the integrity of this message not to put my twist on it, not to bring other literature in there, not to give my opinion, but this message is what saved me, and that's what I want to maintain. You know, and the 12 steps says, try to carry this message. It doesn't say you have to be successful. It doesn't say carry the compulsive overeater. It says carry this message, and that's what my life depends on. We're reminded or told that in the beginning on page 20 in the big book. And there is a solution that says our very lives, our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend upon our constant thought of others and how we may help to meet their needs. Constant. doesn't mean occasionally. doesn't mean when I'm just in hot water. It doesn't mean when I have, don't have anything else better to do. But my very life as an ex-compulsive reader depends upon my constant thought of others and how I may meet their needs. You know, so that is, the, the joy that I get out of it is secondary. An absolute joy. Every time I get off the phone with a newcomer, every time I see someone's eyes that are dead start to brighten up as they hear, as they hear the solution, that's a joy to me. But it, it is secondary. You know, yesterday I, I had to do a 10-step, and I looked at where I was selfish, dishonest, resentful, and fearful, and I called a new fellow that I recently met, and she said, well, those details are, are interesting. She's like, but you need to empty yourself of self to let God in. I need to empty myself of self to let God in. And that's what working with others does for me. It gets self out of the way so that I can feel the presence of God. And when I can feel the presence of God, I'm able to bring that to others. When I am in self and I am trying to help another person and I am going to give my wisdom to them and I am going to give my, my best thinking to them, my best thinking got me screwed. Why would I think my best thinking would help someone else? So it is transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves to others. And I'm just going to go to that second paragraph 
in working with others to tell you what is that like when you've had that spiritual experience and you're now going out into the, into the world and you're helping your fellows and you're watching that. What is life like at that point? It says here on page 89, life will take on a new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you'll not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. And that is what you're starting to see develop as this fellowship is growing from two to three to four to eventually the first 100 that wrote this book. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This, this is, is Suzanne. Robin. I heard Robin, and who else did I hear? Suzanne. And Paula. Suzanne <laughs> and Paula. Okay, let's do Robin, Suzanne, and then Paula, please. Good morning. This is Rabbit. I'm a compulsive overeater recovered in Minnesota. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I agree with Kim. This is a promise. This is a promise. Um, I remember when I came in and put down the food, one of my major stumbling blocks was, <clears throat> what am I going to do with all that time that food was taking up? You know, am I going to be the hole in the donut? Is there is there going to be anything for me? This is, I built my personality around my personality and my life around the experience of eating and cooking and um, all things food-related. As much as I hated it, it was my identity. And I thought, if I put that down, what is going to fill that time? What is What could there possibly be that could fill that time? Well, um, and, and what I did when, you know, I mean, I was told that I must help other alcoholics, other compulsive overeaters, if I was going to remain sober. And, of course, I did it for that reason, because I was directed that that was the way to stay sober, and I wanted to believe the people that had gone before me that had stayed abstinent. But it wasn't long before this other experience took place, the happiness that comes from giving it's transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. They shared their homes, their their slender resources, and gladly devoted their spare hours to fellow sufferers. Because my illness was predicated on isolation and withdrawal from the world. And here, um, because of doing what I was told to do, I found myself smack dab in the middle of a group of people who wanted to be loved and wanted to love me. It was like this ready-made group of people that wanted what I wanted, which was to find a different way of life, and they were willing to talk about it, and they were willing to be helped and help. And this is the, the thing that has made such a huge difference in my life, that my higher power gave me a group of people that I could um, find joy with. Because this, problem, or this program is about joy. It's not about doing something because I'm told I must. It's about the, the spiritual awakening that happens, the, the perspective shift that happens when I come out of my cave I rejoin the world, and I find that you're all really good people. What was I ever afraid of? And with that, I'll pass. Thanks.
Thank you, Robin. Suzanne? Hi, I'm Suzanne, the compulsive overeater in New Jersey. Um, I've had a, a rough couple of weeks just in the life around me, and I'm, I can still consider myself new to the program only about eight or nine weeks into it. And I didn't make the time to participate in meetings or make phone calls, and I found myself withdrawing, and I didn't even know I was doing it. Um, and then I'm feeling very much the chicken or the egg because this morning I got up and I dialed into this call and I found myself motivated to start doing things around the house, which is what I usually do when I'm listening to this call. And I'm someone just was saying about being in the cave and I, and, and I just I'm feeling myself coming out of it. And it reminds me that it's the whole program. It's not just the, the trigger foods, which I have not picked up during these two weeks of having a bad time. Um, but I need to remind myself that when people have called me proactively, how much better I felt afterwards. So it, it's it's the whole thing, and I'm, I'm still accepting that. And uh, as a fairly newcomer, I just wanted to share that, that it's, I hear people's stories of folks who have been here for a number of years, and they still feel a miracle. But as a newcomer, it's still amazing to me. Um, on a regular basis, how I was having such a crappy couple of weeks, and just listening to people, the motivation that comes with it. So, thank you. I pass. Thank you, Suzanne. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. This would be Paula, recovered compulsive reader. I'd just like to go to this line. I'd like to just stay at this line here because, well, it reveals so much. And this is: these men had found something brand new in life. We're talking about men that weren't all that young. They had uh, accomplished many things, it seems, being a lawyer or a doctor and what, and um, even more so, even more so. But this part, even with all that had come into their lives, they had found something brand new in life. You know, I think, and also as we read about them, each one had had... Um, been raised in churches and and, uh, uh, of uh, religious convictions. But even there, they found something brand new in life. And may I go to this line? Because I think to me, it just engulfs this whole paragraph. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself on page 153, that others may survive and rediscover life, something brand new. You will learn the full meaning I believe that they heard these words as I did. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Oh, I heard it. Ain't that a grand thought? Ain't that a grand thought? The full meaning. More than a thought. A deed. An action. And that's what that line said to me. They had found something brand new in life. These men who thought for them Life was over. With God, life had just begun. A brand new. As it says, we were reborn. The third step. Thank you. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. 
though they knew they must help other alcoholics if they would remain sober. And uh, certainly, you know, that's the example that they said here. I mean, Bill and Dr. Bob, um, that whole crew, you know, they stayed in, in the trenches and they spent the rest of their lives trying to help other alcoholics and trying to help this fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, which, of course, was born out of the solution, born out of the spiritual experience. And they were trying to put this thing together so we could have it today. And thank God we do have it today. And thank God we have this opportunity on a daily basis. And, you know, uh, during all that period of time that they were in the trenches trying to pass this message on, they remained sober. They stayed recovered. And if it worked for Bill Wilson, if it worked for Dr. Bob, if it worked for Bill D in those days and for the rest of their lives, then surely it will work for us today. They blazed the trail. And I find in my in my own particular life, I need to work with newcomers. i got to be reminded where I came from. I can't forget where I came from. And if I stay active and if I stay continually working in this intense manner with other compulsive overeaters with new people, I can never forget where I came from. And as long as I don't forget where I came from, I'm going to maintain, I'm going to have that opportunity and the pursuit. I'm going to have the desire and the pursuit to maintain that spiritual condition. It says though they knew they must help other alcoholics if they would remain sober. That motive became secondary. So it was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. So there's something even greater, and that's the magnificent reality that we have, is this real joy of sharing this message with someone else. It's it's so contagious because, you know, it was contagious then. That's how AA was born, this decision to try to stay sober by giving and sharing uh, that doctor you know, Bill shared with Dr. Bob, and that's still true today, that enthusiasm and that uh, contagious energy that we experience as we try to give, as we try to share, as we try to pass on what was so freely given to us. And we're sustained. I'm sustained to one degree or another by a new person because I have the opportunity and the privilege and the honor to watch the miracle of another person. And that miracle of transformation is so strong in the new person that I get to relive my own personal miracle through witnessing their miracle. Because it's such a positive, wonderful experience to watch that new person come to life. And that is the beauty of that 12-step work, is that enthusiasm that develops Wanting to cheer on the next person, wanting to be a great support and a cheerleader and have that front row seat to another miracle. And that is the freedom that we, we get from, you know, the the uh, the transformation from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence. That that true ambition becomes a deep desire to live usefully we have an opportunity to live usefully by passing this message on. And we do it with humility. We walk with humility because it's only through the grace of God and only through cooperating with his grace that this has even been possible. 
So the more I give today what I've been given, the more I'm blessed by having God grow in my life. And the more God grows in my life, then the better off I am. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment Hello? on this? Hello? Hello? Hi. Um, my name is Barbara, and I'm new. Um, and I wanted to know if I can please get the lady's number that you spoke and the lady before her named Robin in New Jersey. You know, if you will hang on at the end of the meeting, there'll be an opportunity for that. Oh, All right? okay, sure. Uh-huh. Thank you. Uh-huh. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. But any- You're so welcome. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? All right, then I'll ask Kathy to please read the next paragraph for us. Thank you, Janice. Uh, this is Kathy, a recovered compulsive overeater. A year and six months later, these three had succeeded with seven more. Seeing much of each other, scarce an evening passed that someone's home did not shelter a little gathering of men and women, happy in their release, and constantly thinking how they might present their discovery to the newcomer, to some newcomer. In addition to these casual get-togethers, it became customary to set apart one night a week for a meeting to be attended by anyone or everyone interested in a spiritual way of life. Aside from fellowship and sociability, the prime object was to provide a time and place where new people might bring their problems. Well, I'd like to share on this um, we see here uh, how they really developed um, a community of activities that would ensure uh, their continuing recovery and sobriety. And one thing that I am so aware of is that for the first, oh, I would say 15 years that I was in the 12-step rooms, I did what I could, um, but I did not really, really put my program first. Um, Worldly responsibilities like uh, work and taking care of my family um, still uh, dominated my experience. Um, I, I just found it very difficult to totally immerse myself no matter how much time it would take. And today, um, my life is very different. Um, I spend a good uh, hour and a half each morning um, uh, working my spiritual disciplines, doing service, uh, coming to this meeting, and then throughout the day, uh, opportunities arise for me to continue to do service. I make my outreach calls. I read my spiritual literature. And at the first sign of discomfort, I go to God uh, for his guidance. Um, so um, today, all of these actions that are described um, here and implied here are ones that have become top priority and central to my life. And I understand today that that's what enables me um, to stay abstinent and to live in recovery one day at a time. 
um, I guess what I want to end with is that this did not happen to me um, in the first few days like it did for uh, the first four alcoholics. Um, and I'm not sure why, um, but I'm so grateful that today I um, I am fully immersed and dedicated to this way of life, and I know that in order to keep it, I have to give it away. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Kathy. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning again, Janice. A little gathering of men and women happy in their release and constantly thinking how they might present their discovery to some newcomer. Happy in their release. You know, for many years in OA, I thought I had two choices. I thought I had the choice to be fat and miserable or I had the choice to be thin and miserable. And I chose to be thin and miserable because I thought that OA, I thought these 12 steps was about just being abstinent. Just being abstinent. If I can go to bed at night with putting my head on the, on the pillow and I'm abstinent, it's been a good day. Now, the fact that I was miserable during that day was irrelevant. At least I was abstinent. So these, they're saying here they're happy and they're released. Well, the trick here is not to be abstinent. The trick here is how can I be abstinent and be happy about it? Because these guys had been sober many times. If you go back and you read Bill's story, it's a roller coaster of him being you know, goose hanging high and, and you know, the paper millions and all these different things. He was sober a million times. But he couldn't be happy by being sober and therefore would go back to the food, mean back to the drink. And I could not be happy being abstinent, so I would go back to the food. So I'm going to go back to page 25 again where it says, we had but two alternatives. One, to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other, to accept spiritual help. And I always thought that intolerable situation was being in the food. What I'm starting to see now is that intolerable situation is being abstinence, because abstinence is painful. We often hear, put the food down, you're going to feel better. Absolutely. You're going to feel anger better. You're going to feel depression better. You're going to feel anxiety better. And that is intolerable. And when I'm in that intolerable situation of being abstinent, what do I have? What are my options? I can blot out the consciousness with the food or I can go through spiritual help. And what they're saying here is they're happy in their release. They sought spiritual help. And in seeking that spiritual help, they became free. They became free. I am free today. I have a sense of neutrality around the food. I'm neither cocky nor I'm afraid. I am not fighting anything or anyone, even the food. That is freedom. That's the release that we're looking for. These 12 steps work for cocaine addicts and alcoholics and drug addicts and sex addicts and, and compulsive overeaters because the purpose of this program is to reunite us with God. Once we put that food down or that substance down, which is absolutely necessary, the rest of the steps is about getting reunited with the higher power. Learning to live abstinently, learning to live with myself, with God and my fellows in a way that I can be peaceful. That is an incredible promise that I didn't even know was there for many years in LA. I thought I had the option to be fat and miserable or sin and miserable. And thank God today, this big book lets me know that I can have a life today 
that is beyond my wildest dreams and that I can be abstinent, be happy about it, and even more importantly, I have been given the power to help others because of this program. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Seeing much of each other, scarce an evening pass at someone's home did not shelter a little gathering of men and women happy in their release and constantly thinking how they might present their discovery to some newcomer. Constantly thinking how they might present their discovery to some newcomer. Um, So they were offering far more than just a relief from the loneliness of the of of the disease of alcoholism um they were offering more than than fellowship however powerful and supportive fellowship is they were presenting their discovery what was their discovery their discovery was that the spiritual awakening the spiritual experience otherwise known as a psychic change or a personality change, was sufficient to bring about recovery. That this spiritual awakening was sufficient enough, a personality change was sufficient enough to bring about recovery. That that spiritual awakening would expel the obsession of the mind and that the secret of those steps, the secret of those action steps, was that indeed it was possible to be able to have such a dramatic change and transformation in personality and in character and in values that the obsession of the mind would be expelled. And so that is what they concentrated on, and that is exactly the mission of meetings. Tradition 5, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. It's not about uh, expressing our own personal opinion. It's not about carrying our own philosophy or theory. It's not sharing uh, with you what goes on in my daily life. That, that's not the purpose of a meeting. The purpose of the meeting, my chief responsibility, the chief responsibility of those who are recovered, the chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program of recovery. These steps, the fact that it was a spiritual awakening, a personality change that allowed us to be reborn. Because the only way this message can be carried is through this translation of one recovered compulsive overeater to the still-suffering compulsive overeater. The only way the message can be carried is through this communication or through these pages of the big book or through one-on-one sponsorship. There's no other way the suffering compulsive overeater, like the alcoholic here, is going to receive the message. And it's the ability of each recovered alcoholic, and it's the ability of each recovered compulsive overeater to bring that recovery to a newcomer. That's a gift. That's our gift from God. (laughs) And passing on that gift to others is the aim. It's the objective. It's the goal of a meeting, 
to carry that message. And it certainly doesn't depend upon any specific uh, learning. It doesn't depend on eloquence. It doesn't depend on any special uh, speaking skills or the ability to articulate well. It is a, a unique experience that each and every one of us has had, and that is the life of an active compulsive overeater. And recovered compulsive overeaters have been rescued from that quicksand, and that is a very unique experience, and we are the only ones that have had that experience. And that's what those of us that are recovered, and that's what Bill and Dr. Bob had, was that they offered living proof. They were living proof, just as we who are recovered here on this line are living proof that some power greater than a human power has worked in our lives and is continuing to work in our lives and can work in your life as well. So our, whole, our entire fellowship, this entire meeting exists to communicate that good news of recovery and that message of hope. That is the entire purpose of this meeting and the entire purpose of fellowship is to communicate that great news that there is a solution, there is a way out. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeating. Eaters. Seeing much of each other, scarce an evening passed that someone's home did not shelter a little gathering of men and women happy in their release and constantly thinking how they might present their discovery to some newcomer. You know, this is the early days of AA, the early days of the very first sober people gathering together in recovery. You know, and, and it wasn't just the sober alcoholics. It was their entire family. You know, oftentimes there was, um, you know, a couple groups going on there. You know, those who were the loved ones of the recovering alcoholics as well gathered together. And, and because these more casual gatherings became so useful and helpful, they set aside one night a week in, the, in those earliest of days and made it a constant thing so that people who were looking for the answer and for the solution and a place to bring this problem that they had could find them, could find them. And so the word got out, and the word got out. And so people would come and stand outside that door, you know, thinking, is there hope for me there? And they would bring their alcoholic problem and this is where they would find hope. This was where they, were, where they would hear about what their problem was. They would hear people in whom the problem had been solved talking about what their problem was, what their solution was, and what the program of action was that they were working. And as a result of that, those new people kept coming. You know, but in these very early days, they knew that they had to stick together. They knew that they had to share with each other, support each other, encourage each other, and yet look outward from that place to how they could continue to carry the message. And I'll tell you, you know, I get a good reminder of that last night. 
at my Wednesday night meeting. We celebrated an anniversary. Someone celebrated seven years of recovery in this beautiful program. And did they celebrate that recovery for their own personal satisfaction? They did not. But they celebrated so that those new people sitting in that room could see what was possible, could see what was possible. And do we love to celebrate recovery? We do. We do. But the main purpose of our meeting is to carry this message, to show those who show up there, just like me, that there is a way out, that there is a solution, that there is help available, that recovery is possible, that if you suffer from the same thing that I suffered from, that you can find the way out as well, that the spiritual solution is as available for you as it was for me. And so we keep carrying that message. We keep gathering every Wednesday night at that meeting so that we can put that adequate presentation of the program of recovery before those new people so that they can find it, so that they can see that there is hope so that they can see there is a solution. It's a wonderful thing. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we close the meeting? This is Paula. May I comment? Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. So much, so much on these paragraphs. But this word, shelter, a shelter is a protective refuge, a place you can go for safety place where there's no condemnation, there's no, oh, you should do better. Oh, let me tell you how to do it. You look and you see. And it says here at the bottom, in addition to these casual get-togethers, it became customary. Ooh, do we not see that even today? To set apart one night a week for a meeting to be attended by anyone, anyone, or everyone interested in a spiritual way of life. Now here's the shelter. Aside from fellowship and sociability that was there, the prime object was to provide a time and a place where new people might bring their problems. Where were they to bring them? The thing was they would bring their problems. But here there was an answer. Here there was a solution by anyone or everyone interested in a spiritual way of life, and they're the answer. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Thank you to everyone who shared today. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Katie, would you be available to read that for us? Yes, I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. 
May God bless you and keep you until then.